Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. As mentioned in the first episode of the Puberty Prof's fall series, episode number 66, this fall, I'm attempting to explain how the national sexuality education standards can be used as a tool to talk with young people about puberty and other age and developmentally appropriate topics. One of these topics is under this umbrella of gender identity and expression. So that's what this episode is going to be focusing on. To help go over what's noted for the younger grades, I invited Carrie Burton. Carrie is the person behind Alphabet Soup, if I can only say correctly the first time, Alphabet Soup. And before we find out what Alphabet Soup and Carrie is all about, let me give her a chance to say hi to you all. So hi, Carrie. Hello, it's great to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. I really, really am. And would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, including what alphabet, the alphabet soup is? Absolutely. So I'm Carrie Burton. I'm a certified sex educator and a certified relationship coach. I specialize in helping caregivers give sexuality and relationship education to their children of all ages. I'm a firm believer that sex ed starts at birth and does not end until we're in the grave. Never too early, never too late. Um, And so I started Alphabet Soup specifically to be intentionally and deliberately trans and queer affirming, not just inclusive. I don't just throw in that us queer and trans folks exist, but affirming and making sure that everybody feels included in all of these conversations because we should all be getting the same information. Um, So I started Alphabet Soup LLC in January of 2020. Um, We had an office space, pandemic started, things shifted and everything has become virtual um, and we still provide services through there for caregivers and for people of all ages. And if I understand correctly, you also have some children, correct? I do. I have um, two children. One of them is 17 and one of them is 15. And if you're okay with me saying this, you homeschool your children. I do. I have homeschooled their whole life and they have had sex education their entire life. They're the sex ed friends. If you've watched sex education, Otis is a good example of my children, other than the unethical, like secretly making money off of giving me information. Okay. And I wanted to raise that up. If, as long as you're comfortable with that, I wanted to raise that because I come from the K through 12 world. And sometimes there's this thought that people who homeschool their children and those of us that teach in the schools, we don't agree or we don't get along, which is so not true. Not at all. 
Well, thank you again for being here today, Carrie. And we're going to go to the gender identity and expression section of the National Sexuality Education Standards. So, and what I'll be doing is in this episode's description, I'll put a link for those standards. If you haven't seen the link in previous episodes, so I'll put it a link there. And I'll also note the page that we're talking about. Uh, it is, oh, I don't have it on my screen, but I'll make sure I put it into the description. So we're going to first focus on the section of what is noted by for what is appropriate for children to be able to do by the end of second grade. And if you're unsure of the background for these standards, please listen to episode number 66. That's the episode in which I just give the background with one of the people that helped put the standards together and that was Nora, Nora Gilbrin. So do you mind reading the first one that you see there, Carrie? Um, not at all. Um, I'm going to note also, I include age ranges. I follow these standards with alphabet soup as well, but as a homeschooling parent, we don't always follow the exact um, grade levels. So I include also the age ranges. So the K through second um, grade level would be ages five through eight. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Of course. And so the first one is in the um, core concepts, and that is define gender, gender identity, and gender role stereotypes. I'm going to push a little further here. How do you define those terms for you? Like when you're when you're putting things together for your pop, uh, your population, your clients, I don't know what you call people when they go to the alphabetsoup.com website. And I'm going to have a link for your website definitely in the description. Awesome. I usually refer to everybody as students because we're all le learning still. Okay. Excellent. Even if we know some of the information, we are also learning, including myself. <laughs> I've been studying this for three decades. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm an expert on all of the things. I'm an expert in my field, but I can still learn things. So Excellent. I would love to describe and define those for you. So for me, I describe gender. It is a social construct often assigned to babies when they are born. Um, gender can mean absolutely nothing to many people, and it can mean absolutely everything to somebody else, which is why we need to make sure we are respecting where everybody is with that. And then um, gender identity is how we know ourselves. So internally, what we feel of who we are. And then gender roles are the ideas, and this is specifically gender role stereotypes, is the judgments we have toward what other people might be doing with their life. Or if we hear what their gender is, that's the assumptions we make based on those gender labels. Thank you, very clear uh, explanations there for each. So thank you for, for doing that, Carrie. Absolutely. The next one in this section for by the end of second grade in core concepts, it reads, discuss the range of ways people express their gender and how gender role stereotypes may limit behaviors. Now, some people might say, second graders, first graders, can they understand that? What are your thoughts on that? They absolutely can. So gender identity actually develops by age three. We don't always recognize that our gender is not what was given at birth. So our parents and our caregivers 
the people who are raising us and giving that gender at birth, sometimes they make an oopsie and that's okay. Sometimes they make a mistake and they give us the wrong one. Just like a toddler wanting the blue cup and we give them the green cup. And, oh, sorry, grabbed the wrong color. I can fix that. You get to decide who you are. You get to figure that out for yourself. And you know what? That's not actually who I am. And that's okay. Oops, we can move on with that. And so with the um, with kids understanding that, it's all around us. We assign these gender roles and these gender expression in the binary of boy versus girl. So we're giving these this information to them already. And parents and caregivers often overthink it when we discuss when people don't fit into the cis-normative binary. So I'm a very literal person. I've always <laughs> been that way. And I also, when I see a word, I have to say it as it's spelled out, like not always phonetically correct. One thing that I get confused about, I'm supportive them for celebration, but when uh, people are about to have a birth and they have gender reveal parties, would the better term be the biological sex versus gender? Um, to be quite frank, those are actually genital reveal parties. Okay. Because the biological sex, we don't know based on genitals. There are hormone components, there are chromosome components that are not accounted for in that at all. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Now, would you like to read the third one in this category under interpersonal communication? Um, sure. Absolutely. Oh, hold on. It decided to move on me. I'm sorry. All right, so the next one reads, demonstrate ways to treat people of all genders, gender expressions, and gender identities with dignity and respect. Now, when I hear that, I think of that, that older, uh, it's like a list of statements that reads something like, all the things you learned in kindergarten. I don't know if you ever saw that. And it's all this about being kind to one another, saying, please, thank you. Do you know what I'm referring to? I don't. Okay. It's something, things I learned in kindergarten, hmm. something like that. But that's what I, this is where to demonstrate respect, it's like everybody has the right to be present and to be heard. Absolutely. Now, do you have any thoughts on any of these for the second grade level? Anything that you want to add on to? Um, yeah, so specifically with the gender expressions, I don't know that I um, gave a definition previously, um, but that is how we present ourselves and our gender to the world. Um, so things like clothing, our hairstyle, our hair color, nail polish, makeup, jewelry, all of those things that we wear and present on the outside of our bodies shows who we are to the world. None of those things have a gender and none of those things determine our gender. Anybody can wear those things. Those just help to affirm who we are in the way we present to the world. Um, so something to keep in mind with the showing respect for everybody is to remember we all have labels. Um, as you mentioned before, I'm a homeschooling parent. I am genderqueer. 
but I still use the term mom. My spawn have grown up with calling me mom forever. And they're allowed to do that. I am very much claiming the mama bear label. Um, I'm a sex educator. So that is another label I have. These are all terms we have, but saying I'm a homeschooling mom tells you strictly that I homeschool my kids and I identify as a mom. That does not tell you how I homeschool. It does not tell you what I teach my kids. Nothing beyond the very basics of those labels tell us who anybody is. It is a shorthand of, oh, hey, here's this community. I can find community because there's this term that I identify with. And so the respecting people is not going, oh my gosh, you're, you're a dad, not a mom. I can't associate with you. But, oh, well, we're all parents. I can respect you in your journey and your life and your experience. I don't have to have the same one. Am I allowed to point out that you labeled your children as spawn? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I've intentionally used spawn um, for my children for their entire lives. Um, just because it's gender neutral and it's fun. It's a funny okay. thing. Um, my, my spawn are very open. I have one cisgender daughter. She is 17 and I have a non-binary demi boy son and okay. um, they are 15. So okay. yeah, spawn just worked. <laughs> in which let's say that there's somebody listening in and they're like using all these terms. If somebody wanted to go to a reliable resource online to get real, like more concrete definitions of what these things are. Although we do have a spectrum, I understand that, but do you have a favorite resource you would recommend? I actually have a list of terms broken down by gender, by sexual and romantic orientation and by relationship styles on my website. I, I have, have a feeling. In alphabetical <laughs> order of these terms. It is expansive. It is growing forever because terms are changing. Terms are growing. We coin new terms, but it is, it is there. And it's a great just starter point to give like basic information of what these labels are. Excellent. Thank you. And again, I'll have a link for your website on the description. And I, I want to raise up as you were talking, I was reminded of the book, Annie's Plaid Shirt. I don't know if you've ever heard that book, and, but there's other books out there that when we talk about gender and gender expression, I recommend that if you want to talk with young people, get a, get a book that you can find that's appropriate and your child is interested in. So this is one way to, to start the conversation or continue a conversation. Yes, absolutely. I'm actually working on building a library for resources for caregivers of books. Excellent. Excellent. Please share that with me when that's completed. Please do. I will. It's it's going to be ever growing because people are writing right. books all the time, which is wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the grades three through five. So it reads by the end of the fifth grade, students should be able to, and I'll read the first one there, okay. distinguish between sex assigned at birth and gender identity and explain how they may or may not differ. Do you want to explain what that is, what that means? Sure. Um, so the sex assigned at birth, that's the gender that our parents give us. Um, typically, that is based on the appearance, the assumption of the appearance of the genitals. It is very simple, basic like that. It actually has nothing to do with the 
biological sex a person is. It is entirely assumption and appearance based. The gender identity is what we know ourselves to be. That gender that we're assigned at birth sometimes is right. Sometimes it's incorrect. We only know within ourselves what is accurate. Um, And that can change throughout life. It can change um, like as we progress and learn more about ourselves and become more self-aware, we can realize um, it doesn't mean we used to be something else and now we're different. Um, I wasn't a girl. I've always been genderqueer. I just didn't realize it until I was 36 and my child came out as (laughs) non-binary. But recognizing that and at any point in life when we realize that and accept ourselves is entirely valid. There's no age limit of figuring that out either. So um, the essential difference is it's the gift of the gender we're given at birth um, has nothing to do with our biological sex and then the gender we know ourselves to be. Sorry, I would like to also add the age. Um, So up to fifth grade is through age 11. Okay, thank you. If you're okay, I'm going to read the other one under core concepts. And then if you want to talk about those, those terms, that'd be great. Awesome. So the second one for up to the end of fifth grade under core concepts, it reads define and explain differences between cisgender, transgender, gender non-binary, gender non-binary, gender expansive, and gender identity. Okay, so for cisgender, that is when our caregivers give us that gender at birth, they say, oh, this is a girl or this is a boy. They're correct. It just means they made the right choice and they gave us the right label. Um, Transgender means we were given the wrong label. We were gifted this label and we went, no, thank you. I'm not actually that. Um, This is both a whole identity in itself, as well as an umbrella term. So what the umbrella term means is things like um, non-binary, myself, gender queer, gender expansive can fall under that umbrella. And so folks may also identify with transgender as well as non-binary, but not necessarily. They could just be non-binary and not claim that overlapping umbrella, or they could just be the whole identity of transgender. Non-binary is also an umbrella term as well. It can be a whole identity in itself as well as an umbrella term. So again, myself as gender queer, I also fall under the non-binary label. And the non-binary part comes in because boy versus girl or man versus woman is the binary. That's the two choices. You need to be an either or. This brings us to the full continuum of, you know what, there are so many other choices of who people are and not really choices. I should not use that word, Um, but more identities of who people are without those either or choices. And gender expansive just falls into the full gender continuum. It it cannot um, be expression. So maybe somebody is a boy and they wear dresses and makeup and things that are assigned as more feminine presenting. Um, That can be a a gender expansive person and they can still be cisgender. 
And then gender identity, again, is what we feel inside and who we know ourselves to be. Thank you for going through all of those. Because if you're a person that doesn't know these terms, it's overwhelming to figure out, you know, even cisgender. Even if a Absolutely. person is cisgender, it's like, wait a minute. In which, if you're okay that I leave that in that you had said choice, because it was, it was an oops. But part of that is when we have people that, um, I try to explain this to future teachers because I teach at the university level and I'm prepping and, and I say to my health teachers, so if you say something that's outdated, say, oh, okay, I, you know, let, I made a mistake, sorry, and move on. Not to obsess about it because part of it is there is so much, so much change in a short, to me, mm -hmm. so much change in a short period of time that to keep it all straight if you're not used to it. And I know like for my parents' generation, they're like, wait a minute, wait, this is really confusing versus to me, um, and I'm not trying to put a label on any, anything, but it's more, sometimes it takes time to get updated and to use the best terminology. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. Um, leaving the oopsie in there, uh, please, by all means, I'm not perfect. I slip, I'm an expert in the field and I still make mistakes and that's okay. That's the still learning. It's retraining ourselves. It takes practice. Um, those, those words that we get used to, sometimes they still slip out. What is important is when we catch ourselves to go, oh, whoops, wrong word. Let me fix that. Right. Just like okay, um, with pronouns. If slip, oops, let me fix that and move on. So yeah, please. Excellent, thank you. And I'm glad that there are more educators asking for students to provide their pronouns. I'm seeing that more and more. And I love that because I know we've been doing that in New York because uh, that's where I taught before I went and got my doctorate. Uh, we were doing that for many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it's nice to see that it's, it's happening more and more. Yes. Carrie, would you mind reading the next one under core concepts? Explain that gender expression and gender identity exists along a spectrum. In which we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier, would you say? Yes, we did. Okay. And I think even for the next one that reads, describe gender role stereotypes and their potential impact on self and others. It's somewhat similar to what's done in the younger grades. However, as children grow up, we add more of the higher level thinking mm -hmm. to the standards or the performance indicators, because it's not as simple as, okay, this is the deal, but let's talk a little bit further. Higher level thinking occurs. Would you agree with that? Correct. Okay. So this takes it a step further in, in the respect and paying attention to the harm we are doing to others if we're not respecting and if we're making those assumptions. Yeah, which leads us to the next one under accessing information. Would you mind reading that one out loud? Of course. This reads identity, excuse me, identify trusted adults, including parents and caregivers whom students can ask questions about gender, gender role stereotypes, gender identity, and gender expression. Yeah. This is a skill set that I am such an advocate for uh, any grade. And I usually put it under self management if we can't go fully into what accessing 
uh, how is it listed, accessing information. To me, self-management of going to your trusted person. Because for anything, I want children to have a variety of people they can turn to. I know that sometimes parents and other caregivers are like, but I want my kid to come right to me. They need to come to me. Any advice on that or thoughts? So part of that is, to be quite frank, we have to let go of the possessiveness we have as parents. We often feel those are my kids. I need to be the trusted adult. Um, But realistically, what we're doing is we're raising small humans to thrive in the world. We will not forever be in our kids' lives. At some point, if life goes as well, they will reach adulthood and we will no longer exist. And so at that point, they need to still have those trusted adults. They need to be able to pass on how to get the next generation to find those trusted adults. Sometimes there's just not that comfort level in telling your parents all of your intimate details, and that's okay. But helping them find a trusted person and somebody who you know that can come to you if there's an urgent thing that you do need to be aware of because we don't need to know everything, but if there's something that we do need to be aware of, then our our spawn and their trusted people should be able to come to us and say, hey, this is actually a concern and urgency and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And although, yes, we usually when you raise a child, they're not gonna be with you forever. We want them to go from dependency to independency to interdependency if, people understand what that is. Uh, But the other reality is, even if we're hoping our child comes to us, something might happen to us. Like we might have, uh, we might have to go and help another person, a family member, and we might not be physically present for a period of time, or perhaps we might be ill or maybe going through a separation or something that if we don't have at that moment, that opportunity to be present for our child, that there are other trusted adults that people can go to. Yes, absolutely. That's important too. Do you remember, and you can pass on this question, Carrie, do you remember your trusted adults when you were younger? I didn't have a lot. Um, My mom was often um, the trusted adult for all of the other children in my life. Okay. Because I'm thinking, I don't, I remember some of my elementary school teachers being there. Uh, high school, for sure. I know they were looking out for me because they were pushing me in certain subjects that I didn't even realize they were looking out for me until I became a teacher. So again, I totally love this statement. This is something I, I attempt to have the future teachers I work with do in the classroom, like to have kids understand that there's a variety of people they can go to for help. You know, there are certain people in the schools, uh, there's certain people in the community, and always to follow that gut that if they have that weird feeling that something doesn't feel comfortable, it doesn't feel happy, then go to another trusted person. Correct. Okay, I last one for by the end of fifth grade, students should be able to demonstrate ways to promote dignity and respect for people of all genders, gender expressions, and gender identities, including other students, their family members, and members of the school community. Now, what are your thoughts on that one? 
So to me, this reads as a not joining in in the mockery of others, pointing out to our friends that, hey, you know what? You're hurting somebody's feelings. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be the impact on the education piece. Our, the spawn shouldn't have to be teaching each other everything, but they should be able to, one, point it out. You're hurting their feelings. Stop doing that. That's not okay behavior. Um, jumping into having that trusted adult step in and say, hey, this is a problem. Can you come help with this? Um, as well as, you know, with the staff. And if a staff member comes in and steps in and says, hey, this isn't cool behavior, if that kid is still just being respectful and, and understanding it. And if we go a little bit further, there are also events that if people are able to attend to advocate, if, am I allowed to say, you know, like you had an event about pride? Absolutely. Yeah. So we were just at Denver Pride Fest all weekend. And what is Pride Fest? What is that? So Pride Fest is now our annual um, celebration of the anniversary of Stonewall because Pride started as a riot. We had to fight to be here with, if I may say, with the news of Roe v. Wade being overturned. All of us are now directly under attack. In which, although young people might not get involved in something like a Pride event, as children age, and if you look at the standards under for grades up to eight and then up to grade 10 and 12, under advocacy, there's more and more that's represented that young people can get involved in if they choose to. And if it's available, even if it's not available, I'm sure there's things online that they can connect with mm -hmm. as long as it's safe and, and healthy for them to connect with. I will actually correct you on that. Um, okay. We were actually at the Pride Fest. Um, we were actually in a youth specific area. Um, okay. All ages attend Pride. Um, it is a family friendly, all age inclusive celebration of the LGBTQIA plus community. Well, oh, there are a lot of young people like up to the fifth grade there. Cause I was talking about, um, like I know in some of the schools that when I've been at, there's not always something that the children are made aware of in the schools. They're usually made more aware of things in middle school and high school. Oh, we had all ages. We had toddlers and okay. young, young school age children, elementary age children of all varieties. So, okay. Very good. Okay. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience members before we end for today and recognize it might be uh, students of younger ages or older ages? So any last words for our listeners? Yeah, um, I would just love to remind everybody that we are all still learning. You do not have to know it all right now. If you don't know something, it's okay to look it up. It's okay to ask for more information and you do not have to be the educator on your identity to other people. You can tell them to go to Google. There are resources like Alphabet Soup out here, like the Purity Prof. We have other resources that people can turn to. You do not have to be their educator. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. And I thank you so much for being here today and going over just for, for grades K through five of the gender identity and expression, what's listed in the National Sexuality Education Standards. So folks, if you want more information about this section of the standards, please check out the link that I have in the description for today's episode. And would you remind us, Carrie, if people wanna get in touch with you, where they can find you? Sure, so our website is thealphabetsoup.com. We're on a variety of platforms. We've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm trying to get up there better. <laughs> I'm a noob still there. Excellent. Well, thank you again for being here and for sharing your wisdom and for your, your honesty, you know, that we're all students. And folks, please do feel free to connect with Carrie at the links provided in today's description. Feel free to reach out to me too at pubertyprof.com or pubertyprof at gmail.com. And I hope you continue to take care of yourselves. Again, thank you, Carrie, for being here. Thank you. And folks, have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.